Hello and welcome to the CFA Society San Francisco podcast, where we interview and discuss current trends with leaders from across the investment and finance industry. This month, our host, Tanya Subatang, Membership Director with CFA Society San Francisco, had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Julian Vogel, Assistant Professor of Finance at San Jose State University. Listen in as they discuss new trends in financial research. Good morning, Julian. So great to have you on our show today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So for our longtime listeners, um, they will know this, but did you know that this is the first time I've interviewed an educator on our show? And I'm very excited because I know you're going to bring a wealth of knowledge. You are currently an assistant professor of finance at San Jose State University, and you actually earned your PhD in finance at the University of Texas, El Paso. So I should probably be calling you Dr. Vogel, <laughs> shouldn't <Yeah>. I? <laughs> You've earned it. But, you know, kind of jumping in here, can you share with our listeners what exactly does a finance professor do and specifically in your role? Absolutely. So most of us ever come across um, professors in their own college career or reference college career or what they hear about. However, teaching is only about 40% of the work of a professor. They're another big part of a professor's job is doing research. And that research, since I'm in finance, of course, includes financial topics. That's basically the creation of information which is relevant to practitioners, of course, also relevant to researchers to advance the theory itself. And these um, facts, this information, once it has been through the publication process and it's been tested and has not been refuted by future studies, it will eventually make its way into textbooks and become the basis for education for future generations, but also it becomes the basis of certifications like the CFA, for example. And so as um, a professor, I'm kind of on the forefront of research. I always see the newest development, and, and it's it's very exciting to always see these developments essentially in real time, and I can see what will become larger trends in the industry kind of before it happens. That is amazing to hear that you're actually in the forefront of a lot of these developments. I'm curious to know in your research, what have you discovered so far? And, you know, can you share that with our listeners? Of course. So in general, over, I say recently, but realistically, it's been over the last 10, 15, 20 years, because researchers as a whole, a very slow moving process. And so over the last, let's say, 20 years, we have seen an emergence of a lot of non-traditional fields, such as um, textual analysis that uses computer programs to analyze the language in SEC filings. Computer programs, of course, make this much easier since it allows for the analysis of many more documents than one or even a team of uh, researchers could do at the same time. And with the advent of technology, we've seen more research on the effects of social media on returns. I personally have a paper on how disclosure of firm news through Twitter affect the institutional ownership and institutional holdings of that company. We've also, the advent of computational power allows for more sophisticated tests. So especially in fields where historically research has found a positive relationship, some research has found a negative relationship, 
we can go back and revisit these topics and see why there have been such disparities. So for example, in a recent paper I published, I looked at the relationship between the diversity on the board of directors and financial performance. And there have been a lot of papers saying there is a positive relationship. There have been a lot of papers saying there has a negative relationship. And I actually was able to find out that this disparity is really a result of using inaccurate data, but also using um, incorrect methods that are not correctly specified. And so in reality, there is actually no relationship between because firms are not using the diversity on the board of directors as effectively as they could. We, in general, I would say there is a lot of more combination of traditional finance variables with non-traditional finance variables. Like, for example, the topic of executive compensation is nothing new, but a recently emerging trend or emerging field, so to speak, looks at uh, executive compensation in combination with psychological ownership. Previously, people have always looked at executive compensation as, you know, the combination of the compensation package. What is the optimal structure of stock awards to cash to straight out equity? But psychological ownership, which of course emerges from management and psychological literature, looks at how executives think of themselves relative to the company. I uh, talk a lot about this because um, I'm part of that asset field. And we actually found that psychological ownership, if a executive thinks of the company as their company, that leads to them being much more prudent in their investment, meaning they have a lower financial performance, but they also have less fraud because they obviously, it's their company. They do not want to be separated from their company, right? And then other fields, of course, include an analysis of of metadata, like for example, in the last 20 years, there has been a lot more digitization in general. So now we have data like SEC file sizes or access patterns of SEC filings. So of course, these get researched as well. What we currently don't see as much, which I'm sure a lot of the audience has much more in their everyday work, is AI beyond fintech, obviously. And that is kind of because AI or research in general kind of lags a little bit in terms of data, right? You first need a lot of data to then examine the relationship between. And since AI is currently relatively fresh in use and people are not very sure how to use it and there is very little uniformity in its use, the data is just not there at the moment. Overall, I would say for everybody, anybody listening who's deciding how to direct their career in finance, it becomes more and more important to have not just expertise in finance, but also a very general understanding of the other, especially dis business disciplines. In, I mean, put it a little bluntly, the better you are, the better employment opportunities you have. So if you have a lot of expertise, not only in finance, but also in other fields, that will help you. Through my research, I've been in the position to talk to a lot of CEOs and CFOs of S&P 1500 companies, and most of them did not start out in finance or in financial management. A lot of them came from accounting, obviously, but a lot of them also came from marketing, from the subject of that field. So for example, I spoke with a CFO of a biotech company, and he came from biotech and the CFO was kind of the addition, whereas intuitively you would assume that the whatever the company does would be the addition, like 
oh, you have studied finance, now get familiar with the biotechs of what we do here. No, um, a lot of companies actually do that the other way around. So of course you need to be good in finance, but it certainly helps to be good in other disciplines in general as well. Wow, Julian, thank you so much for sharing all that wealth of knowledge. I'm sure listeners are going to have to replay this because of it, but I would love to get your thoughts on how can our audience best use this information you provided? And it's actually two prong questions. The second one is you shared a little bit for maybe our younger listeners who's trying to get into finance. Besides, you know, expanding their knowledge, what other advice would you give them as they decide what path to take into the industry? Okay, so I'll start with the audience in general. Uh, in general, I would say there is a lot of potential for more collaboration between practitioners and researchers to mutual benefit. Of course, practitioners, they need to do research as well. They need to backtest their strategies. They need to see what is viable of the different approaches they can take. And that's fine. But beyond that, they have very little resources to, to go beyond that because their core job for which they're paid and with which they're very busy is just not the additional research. Professors, on the other hand, they get literally paid to do that. So practitioners can benefit a lot from researchers just knowing a lot about overall trends. And even if the particular researcher has only a very narrow focus in that particular aspect, they are an expert. And so I would encourage the, the audience, the practitioners in the audience, a lot more to kind of reach out to their friendly neighborhood researcher. Additionally, the benefit for researchers, of course, is that they know what really interests practitioners because there is kind of a danger kind of to drift off. You always read papers and you build on these papers. And there is this, this danger to drift off in your own ivory tower kind of. And so speaking to practitioners keeps research relevant, keeps research focused on what actually matters for researchers. Additionally, practitioners have a wealth of knowledge which is inaccessible to non-practitioners. For example, the field of payout policy and sharing purchases, there has been a huge discussion about when do people repurchase, why do people repurchase, until someday somebody came along and just looked at interviewing financial managers, why they actually repurchased. And that kind of brought to a close or helped answer a question that has been floated for 30 years at that point. It didn't kill research in that field because now there was more focus or that kind of opened up more avenues for other directions in the field of payout policy, but it helped bring the whole theory a huge step forward. What was the second part of the question? You gave some great tips earlier, but what advice would you give our younger listeners looking to go into finance? No. I think young listeners wanting to go into finance should focus on what they want and should, should build expertise in what they want. As long as you're good in what you're doing, there is always going to be need for you and for your skills. If somebody tells you that that is not traditional finance, then let them have their opinion. But that is definitely not something that I see as a development. Of course, if you want to have anything to do with finance, you need to know finance. But if it's beyond that, if there is anything that you like, then by all means, there is a subfield for that. As an example, something very exotic is um, cars or old cars or something like that. Well, see, old cars have, as we 
seen in the media and everything, have become a huge investment market, especially for super wealthy investors, right? Same with horses or arts. And all these are not necessarily areas of expertise, which you would intuitively first thought combine with finance. However, there is a need and they all have a very well-established place at the intersection of equestrian sciences, for example, and finance. So in a nutshell, my advice would be whatever you're passionate about, get good at it and believe in yourself. If other people tell you that it's not finance and you know you should give up, then don't take their advice, but also keep listening because usually people don't just say that's not going to have a future and then be quiet. They usually will tell you that's not going to have a future because, and that might allude to something where you can get better. You need to sell your skills better. You need to find a broader application. You need to be more specific depending on whatever you hear. But usually even people that criticize you. And I don't mean that constructive criticism. I mean the criticism that is really meant to tear you down. Even that criticism is valuable. Julian, thank you so much for all of this information. Like I said earlier, I think our listeners are going to have to listen to this many, many times to really extract all the great information that you shared. I want to just thank you so much for your time this morning. It truly has been a pleasure getting to know you, but also getting to hear what you have to say. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the CFA Society San Francisco podcast. We hope you enjoyed the engaging discussion. Join us next month for another new episode. This podcast is produced by CFA Society San Francisco, a not-for-profit professional association serving over 13,000 investment industry professionals worldwide. The society provides the investment community with professional learning and career resources through webinars, in-person events, virtual content, and an active career center. To learn more about CFA Society San Francisco, visit our website at www.cfa-sf.org or connect with us on LinkedIn. This podcast is provided for general interest only. The content is not intended to be nor should be interpreted as recommendations or fiduciary advice. Please consult your own financial advisor for information concerning your specific situation.